Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are in control of all of these things, all the things that are happening in the world. You knew from the beginning what was coming. Nothing has taken you by surprise. So, Lord, as we look at some of these things that can be a little intimidating or frightful, I pray that you would help us to realize that you have all these things in your hand and you are in control, that we can trust you and you have ways in which and means by which we can um, be safe, that you will bring healing, that you will protect us, and that you have made a way of escape. And so help us to keep our mind fixed upon these things that you have, you have given us a health message. You have given us tools and resources by which to have a clear mind that our physical bodies can be healed, that you've made us fearfully and wonderfully. And so, Lord, help us to realize that in spite of some of the information and some of the things that people choose to do in this world around us, that we can still choose to serve you and that in this service you have made a way of escape from the the things that are going on in this world, though we may suffer them, we can still find joy. So we thank you for it in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen. All right, so this is titled Strange Slips. We reap what we sow. I promise you, this is a guarantee. You will never, ever sow a seed that's broccoli and get an onion. You will get what you sow. So, I'm going to start with a quote here. Because thou hast forgotten thy God of thy salvation, sorry, because thou hast forgotten the God of thy salvation, and hast not been mindful of the rock of thy strength, therefore shalt thou plant pleasant plants, and shalt set it with strange slips. In the day shalt thou make thy plant to grow, and in the morning shalt thou make thy seed to flourish, but the harvest shall be a heap in the day of grief, and of desperate sorrow. There's a lot of stuff going on in this world, and if we're not careful, we will end up with a bad harvest. And you know, it requires us to sacrifice. Some of the things you will have to do are inconvenient. They're uncomfortable, and when you're eating somewhere and you can't eat it, people often ask me, what do you do? And I say, you're bought with a price. You don't have a choice. This body is not your own. Amen. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you think you've got a choice, herein is your error. You don't have a choice, but you have to be loving. You have to be gracious. And you have to have a reason for the faith that is in you. So when you go somewhere and someone's upset because, oh, you didn't eat the potluck or you didn't eat the whatever, you just say, it's nothing against you. I have restrictions, dietary restrictions, they're personal restrictions, and if you would like to know about them, I'm happy to share with you, but I, you know, we're, we're all just trying to, you know, just be loving, explain, take time to, to work with people. You want them to work with you, right? And if they don't, love them anyway. Just, it's easy enough in my mind. So most people may not know what a GMO is. It's a genetically modified organism. Does everybody here know what a GMO is? No? no? Okay. So GMO is a genetically modified organism. What, is a G what does that mean, right? We're going to get into it a little bit. We'll explain what that is. How many here think GMOs are good? No? Anybody think GMOs are bad? 
GMOs are bad. I've done this once before. How many people had GMOs this morning? Something to think about. How many ate them um, last week? Nobody ate any GMOs last week. Praise the Lord. All right. Genetic engineering is a key component in modern agricultural biotechnology. The first genetic engineered plant, a tomato, was developed in 1982. So this is a relatively new. It's not that old. I mean, agriculture has been going on for how long? Since the garden, right? And this has been since 1985. I'm older than that. And I was just on a youth panel, right? So it's fairly, fairly new. Um, by 1985, the USDA had approved four releases of G GE, which is a misnomer. If anyone has ever heard of a GE, do you know what GE stands for? Well, genetic, I, engineering. genetic engineering. It is far cry from engineering. Engineering, engineers build bridges, right? Do you drive over those bridges? Yeah. Why? Because they're precise and they have science and math that tells you that it can support your weight. It's guaranteed, you know it can do what it's supposed to do. The first time or the 10,000th try? If you knew the bridge had about, eh, there's going to be about 10,000 tries before the bridge probably will work right, would you drive over the bridge? Okay, well, in GE, this so-called genetic engineering, it takes about 10,000 tries to get it right. So it's a far cry from engineering in my mind. But sometimes it's called GE, genetic engineering. So these, the, the GE organisms for field testing, that was 1985. Commercial use of GE crops began in 1996. So they're officially released in 1996. So again, since these have been on the market, how many people here were born before 1996? That's a lot of hands. This is a very fledgling science. Does that make sense to you? Can you see that? Does that resonate with you? I think that's pretty straight to see. So this looks pretty interesting, doesn't it? Does anybody know how, there's, there's several ways genetically modif genetic modification can happen. Does anybody know how any of those ways? <coughs> Got one person back here, two people. So about two people in the crowd know how GMO is made. Well, the first thing you have to do is you have to identify what you want to do. And by what you want to do, I mean, for instance, if you wanted to make a plant resistant to an herb, a herb, an herb, um, a weed, first you would have to have something that wouldn't kill that weed, but would kill most other, like for instance, broadleaf plants. And so then you would isolate the gene in that plant that resisted being killed, and you would extract that gene and you would insert that gene into your plant of choice. Corn, for instance, soybeans, cotton. Then you could take that herbicide and you could spray that plant and that gene is now in that plant that resists that herbicide just like whatever other plant you found that had that resistance. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so it sounds like you would be very precise and you would know just in the DNA strand where you wanted to, you would extract that one and you would precisely place it into the DNA strand of the other one and you 
it would be very, because you know, we've mapped the genome, we know all about this now, right? It's very precision, but it doesn't work that way at all. Do you see this little thing here? This is called a gene gun. Now, that's not really a gene gun. That's like some sci-fi gun, but that's the principle. So what they do is they take this, they take a metal pellet, titanium, gold, some sort of microscopic pellet, and they attach to that that DNA, that little piece of chunk that they got out. They attach it to that. Then they're going to use um, a virus most of the time, and most of the time it's some, something like a, a cauliflower mosaic virus or something like that. And then they're going to also attach an antibiotic gene-resistant marker. Okay? So they take those things, they're on these pellets, and they shoot it into a petri dish full of cells of the particular plant that you want. Then they're going to take an antibiotic, and they're going to put it in that petri dish. Because everything that did not receive that cassette, they call that a gene cassette, into its DNA will die. Why will it die? Because it's not antibiotic resistant. Do you follow me? If it received the antibiotic gene resistant marker, then that thing becomes antibiotic resistant. And so you can kill everything, and everything now in the petri dish that's living has received the GMO cassette. Does that make sense? Okay, if that doesn't make sense, raise your hand. I want to explain it again. Okay. So if, let me explain it. If you have a GMO and you put an antibiotic gene resistant marker with it and I put it in a cell, that means I can put an antibiotic on that cell and it won't kill the cell. Does that make sense? If it didn't get it and I put the antibiotic resistant gene, you know, but it didn't get in there, when I put the antibiotic on it, that will die. Does that make sense? So do you see how it works then? At least moderately? Okay. So, so now they've received this gene cassette. So you have all these cells. Now what are you going to do with the cell? Here was the key. Before they could do this, they had to know how to take a single cell and grow it out to an actual living organism, whatever that cell was. So at the end of the day, they take that thing and then they reproduce it after it's been a plant. And now you have a genetically modified seed. And then they can patent that seed because it's now never been in existence before. It's a, a new creation. And as long as it's a new creation, you can patent life. Did you know that? That is crazy. That is absolutely insane, in case you were wondering. You cannot patent life. This has been a fundamental human, like it's like inalienable rights. You know what I'm saying? Like we started the country because we have inalienable rights. That means the rights that cannot be taken from you. Plants cannot be patented. They're living organisms. It's, it's, in fact, it's such a farce that if you are in a lawsuit with a company that has a patent, they're going to say that it's, it's um, well, substantially equivalent is the term they'll use. We'll get to that later. I'll explain what substantially equivalent it is. But it's, they're going to say it's substantially equivalent. But at the same time, the same product, you can't sue them because they gave you cancer, but they can patent it because it's so unique. It's equivalent to everything, except it's patentable because it's so different than everything. Double speak. So, very, very interesting stuff. Now, 
Once this happened, you can kind of see the trend lines. I wanted to show you a little bit. All the slides will be on the AdAgro website, and so you'll be able to download them and have the slides it, soon. <laughs> um, so does this, can everyone make sense of this? Have you ever seen graphs? So this is the years on the bottom. This is the percent of plants in acreage that are, in, that are being planted in the United States. And so you can see the trend line. So HT is herb tolerance, BT is bacteria therogensis resistant, so it's a, it's a, uh, it's a bacteria. It's a bacteria that they've inserted. So they've inserted bacteria into the cotton plant that kills pest, bacteria therogensis. This one is generally glyphosate. Anyone familiar with glyphosate? Roundup ready, Roundup ready resistant. So it, it's herb tolerance. Um, and so this is the track of soybeans, cotton, uh, herb tolerant cotton, BT cotton, BT corn, um, and then um, her that'd be probably like glyphosate, Roundup Ready corn. Um, so this, these over here, this one's for cotton, this one's for corn in the United States. So something interesting they've done, because they're so good at this, right? 10,000 tries or 20,000 tries to make it work. What they decided they could do was now they could stack these genes, and now they can have more than one, and now they can be BT resistant and handle glyphosate, or 2,4-D, which is basically Agent Orange. So, well, you know, let's be careful. One molecular structure difference is, is substantially different, but you get my point. So this, this here is telling us that this is now the vast majority of the plants are actually stacked, meaning they have multiple genetic shifts in them in this way. Does that make sense to everybody? So meaning that they're resistant to several different pesticides? No, they have a BT resistance and a glyphosate resistance. So they have two. And it could be, they can be more than, They'd stack them in different ways. It's not, they're not all the same. So different companies do different things. But the general theme here is, is that this, most of the things, so this is, if something's herb tolerant only, you can see it tracked in these years. That was sort of the scale at which it was happening, and then it kind of drops down. And then for the BT use, it was here. But the vast majority is got stacked traits. Does that make sense? So right now, currently in the United States, just to give you some scope of how difficult it is going to be to avoid this, like it is, it is ubiquitous almost. Currently, up to 92% of U.S. corn is genetically engineered, as are 94% of soybeans and 94% of cotton. Cotton oil is often used in food produ products, by the way. It's not just your clothes you're wearing. It has been estimated that upwards of 75% of processed foods on supermarket shelves, from soda to soap, crackers, condiments, uh, contain genetically engineered ingredients. Your batteries, soups, corn. Did I say something else? Oh, soap, soup, sorry. It's in your soap too, that's why it's, I, I, it's in everything. It's in your ethanol gas that you just got on your way here. It's in everything, that any corn product, pretty much. If you ever had corn containers, you know those containers that are uh, biodegradable, so they're good for the environment? They're corn containers. They're from GMO corn. 
So when you, you drink out of it, and then you sit it in your car, and you see the sun melt it down, Think twice. It's scary, scary stuff. By removing the genetic material from one organism and inserting it into the uh, permanent genetic code of another, the biotech industry has created an astounding number of organisms that are not products by nature or have never been seen on the plate. These include potatoes with bacteria genes, um, super pigs with human growth genes, fish with cattle growth genes, tomatoes with flounder genes, corn with bacteria genes, and thousands of other altered and engineered plants, animals, and insects. As an, at an alarming rate, these creations are now being patented and released into our environment and our food supply. So, how many people here are on a plant-based whole food diet? Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, Come talk to me afterwards. Um, even if you're not, how many people here like strawberries? Most people like strawberries. Yeah. You know that they have problems. They freeze, and you can lose your flowers. They have problems because they're early kind of plant, and, and you can lose your crop real easy. So they had a really good idea. You know, flounders are a fish that swim around in freezing waters but don't freeze. So we can take a gene out of a flounder that doesn't freeze and insert it into the strawberry and you have frost resistant strawberries. Who wants some? You want some? So we're not just talking about plants with plants. You understand what I'm saying? Seeds should produce after their own kind. Anybody ever heard that? I don't even know what you call that. Like, that's just not right. Oh, has anyone here ever heard of amalgamation? Is that common? That's interesting, isn't it? So, and this is going to be really hard for some of us. Does anybody know what self-fusion is? One person. One person has heard of self-fusion. How many people are in here? 50. 50 people are in here. One person has heard of self-fusion. And we're educated, right? A lot of people in here are educated on GMOs, I bet. What is cell fusion? Cell fusion is a genetic engineering process. They don't call it genetic engineering in the United States, by the way. It's, it's not considered GMO. In Europe it is. In Japan it is. In the EU, you know, Australia, all the first world countries, most of the second world countries, they're going to say this is genetic modification, but here in America, it's not. So keep that in the back of your head. Cell fusion is a genetic engineering process in which the nucleus is removed from a plant cell and replaced by a nucleus from a different plant that might be from a different species or gen genia, gen genera. Did I say that right? Genre. Genre, thank you. I taught myself to read. This creates a new plant with mixed genetics. It contains the mitochondria and chloroplast DNA from one cell and the nucleus DNA from a different one. This is typically done for the purpose of creating cytoplasmic male sterility. So we have a sterile plant. What in the world do you want a sterile plant for? 
Why do you want a plant that doesn't reproduce? That's bizarre, right? Well, there's a good reason. <laughs> there's a good reason. That's a, not really, there's not a good reason to do that. Which allows hybrids to be created reliably and inexpensively and prevents anyone other than the seed company from creating the variety. This purpose is also called, so keep this in mind, you want to know these terms because when you're buying seed, they will tell you what it is. And it can be somatic fusion, it can be protoplast fusion, or it can be cyto, uh, cytoplasmic male sterility. The plants created by using this technolo technology are sometimes called transgenic cybrids. So, you can get, and, and listen to me close, you can buy organic seed that has been through this process. You got to hold your questions to the end, ma'am. Make sure and clarify with everyone you're going to help them at the end understand how to avoid these things. Because my heart rate is starting to increase. <laughs> All right, so my wife says her heart rate is starting to increase. She's getting a little bit concerned. Pardon me? I will, we, will, we have solutions. Now, let me tell you, and I told you at the beginning of this, we're at the end of the world, folks. If you think this is going to be an easy journey, get ready, get ready, get ready. Because we are watching the closing scenes of Earth's history play out. And if you don't believe that, if you don't think that's true, if you think we can be comedians, if you think we can get up and laugh, and I don't have a message for you that's life and death, I'm not here to talk to you. I'm not here to make you feel good. I'm not here to make you think life is good. I'm here to tell you we're at the end of the world, and we need to be on our knees, and we need to be searching our hearts and we need to be knowing what's going on in the world around us because the devil is trying to destroy our minds. This is a direct assault on your mind that you don't think right. And I'm not trying to be dramatic, but we can't have this comedy skit stuff going on here. Is cell fusion compatible with organic standards? I already answered that question for you. It is. It is. Scary, right? Yeah. You can go to the grocery store, and you can buy yourself some organic cabbage, and this can have been the parentage line. Yeah. Because in America, this is not GMO. Life just got a lot more difficult, didn't it? Here we go. The discussion at the conference centered around whether it is appropriate to use this sort of genetic engineering and certified organic production of fruits and vegetables and how the industry might adapt if the standards are changed. Cell fusion technology is currently being used extremely in, extreme, extensively in the production of both organic and conventional foods. Did you catch that? <laughs> is currently being used extensively in the production of both organic and conventional foods. I have been writing about this topic since 2011. Now that, I ha now that it has gained national attention at a major conference, attention by, by, many of the proponent, prominent, I'm sorry, by many of the prominent players in the organic seed movement, we can expect to see it become a common topic of conversation. It is likely that the USDA National Organic Program will, will be asking for public comments on the issue Patents for living organisms. And you can, there's a, 
link to that Mother Earth article where this guy's talking about this. In 2011, one person here knows that this even exists. Substantially equivalent. We talked about that a few moments ago. This is the definition. In food safety, the, con the concept of sub substantially equivalent holds that the safety of a new food, particularly one that has been genetically modified, may be asserted by the company it assessed, I'm sorry, may be assessed by the company, uh, I can almost read, may be assessed by comparing it with a similar traditional food that has proven safe in normal use over time. It was first formulated as a food safety policy in 1993 by the, organ by the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. So, GMOs, GMO corn, looks like corn, grows like corn, tastes like corn, it's filled corn, tastes disgusting, but it's the same thing, substantially equivalent. So says them. Whoever them are. There's another method, though, that the rest of the world has adopted besides the United States. It's called precautionary method. It's been around for a while. Some might know it as a scientific method. <laughs> Crazy idea. Um, it's a strategy for approaching issues of potential harm when excessive scientific knowledge on the matter is lacking. It emphasizes caution, pausing, and review before leaping into new innovations that may prove disastrous. The principle is often used by policymakers in situations where there is the possibility of harm from making a certain decision, i.g. taking a particular course of action. The conclusion, evidence is not yet available. Conclusive evidence is not yet available. For example, a government may decide to limit or restrict the widespread release of a medicine or new technology until it has been thoroughly tested. The principle acknowledges that while the progress of science and technology has often brought great benefit to humanity, it has also contributed to the creation of new threats and risk. It implies that there is a social responsibility to protect the public from exposure to such harms when scientific investigation has found a plausible risk. These pro protections should be relaxed only if further scientific findings emerge that prove sound evidence that no harm will result. Now that sounds reasonable, doesn't it? You know we're a republic, right? We live in a republic, the United States. You know what that means, right? It means that you're your government. That means that you're responsible. That means I'm responsible. These are serious times. I want to be clear. I'm not promoting our involvement in government at all. You realize you're a child of the kingdom. Your home is not here. Side note. So, patents of living organisms. Among the many contentious issues related to genetically modified organisms under public discussion, legal issues are in the spotlight. There is debate as to how much patent protection, if any, should be granted to GMO companies 
and whether the patent rights have been utilized rightfully against farmers. Listen to the last sentence. The courts seem to be, by and large, standing with the companies. There you have it. We were talking about amalgamation earlier. It's almost like I could read your minds. Manuscript release 16, page 247. Christ never planted the seed of death in the system. Satan planted these seeds when he tempted Adam to eat of the tree of knowledge, which meant disobedience to God. Not one noxious plant was placed in the Lord's great garden. But after Adam and Eve sinned, poisonous herbs sprang up. In the parable of the sower, what's the name of this conference? A living parable? What was the first? What's the name of this lecture? Strange slips, living parables. Oh, where am I? Not one noxious plant was placed in the Lord's great garden, but after Adam and Eve sinned, poisonous herbs sprang up. In the parable of the sower, the question was asked the master, Didst thou sow good seed in thy field? Didst thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? The master answered, An enemy hath done this. Matthew 13, 27 and 28. All tares are sown by the evil one. Every noxious herb is of his own sowing, and by his ingenious methods of amalgamation he has corrupted the earth with tares. Strange slips. Every seed sown produces a harvest. Do you know what Monsanto means? I don't have this on there. I'll just ask you because it's, it's just an amazing concept to me. How many people, when you do studies in the Bible, when you're doing your, your, not your surface reading, but your deep studies, right? When you're mining out those gems and jewels that we do. It means holy mountain. That's right. Monsanto means holy mountain. Do you know what the etymology of the word is? Who here speaks Spanish? Mon? Singular? Santo? Saint? Deity? Or small God? Monsanto. This is etymology. When you do your deep studies in Scripture, all the names mean something, right? Are you an Israelite? Are you one who has wrestled with God and prevailed? Yeah, right? Names mean something. I don't know how they got the name Monsanto, and it doesn't really matter because it's all by the providence of God. And I don't know what Bayer means. I haven't looked it up yet. But I have something, it has to do something with the bay, I'm sure. And, and Ur is like someone in the bay. And I'm telling you, if you're waiting for the latter rain or the early rain, you better know that water means something. Because there's a false outpouring in Revelation 13. Fire, strange fire coming down out of heaven. So horizontal gene transfer becomes an issue. And there's a lot of debate and speculation about this. And there's been some, some research. And it's, you know, whatever you want to, however you want to look at that. This is a complicated subject. And I'm not going to get too much into it. But I'll read this to you. 
When you, let me just say this, just think about it. In order to get that gene cassette into the plant, what did they put with it? A virus, what's a virus do? It's a vector. What's it a vector for? Because it enters into your cells, right? That's how you get sick. So they've created something that has this propensity, right? They've genetically put them together so that it has the propensity to be able to cross into other genes. Doesn't that sound like a really bad idea? I mean, you know, I'm no scientist. But I can reason from cause to effect. Isn't, are we not caused, called to be able to reason from cause to effect? Transgene tr transfer from plants to bacteria has been detected under greenhouse conditions with specifically selected donor and recipient organisms. Uh, but without anchor sequences, sequences, transfers could not be detected. So they have an anchor thing. Now this is all being done in a lab. This is a, a, a research study and they're trying to find out if that will do this. In fact, what they're trying to do is to see if they can use composting to destroy genetically modified material. That's what they're trying to figure out. But what they found was is they could get antibiotic gene resistant markers to show up in the bacterium of, the, of what was digesting the stuff in the compost pile. Scary thought. Well, it's not that scary. It's actually more common than one would like to believe. Genes they do this. So anyway, in spite of these experiments that stimulating an environment under optimized conditions for HGT, horizontal gene transfer, to occur, transgenetic construction or genetically modified recipient strains, for example, plant bacteria, HGT, events remain undetected under field conditions. So what they are saying is, is they were able to do it in greenhouses under controlled conditions, but they couldn't, they didn't see it happen in the field. Now, when they talk about looking in the field, they're not really looking that well, according to the understanding of how the, most of these studies are being done. I'm not gonna read the rest because that's the gist of what I wanted to get from that study. They could, they could see it happen when they did it under controlled environments, so it can happen, right? So. HGT, of the introduction, introduced genes from a GMO to other organisms has been commonly cited as one potential risk. However, it is important to note that HGT is not an adverse effect as such, but an event that may or may not lead to harmful horizontal gene transfer. And is widespread, HGT is widespread in nature and in some cases occurs frequently. All organisms have a history of horizontal gene transfer and every gene, including those introduced by gene technology, is capable of being transferred between organisms by HGT. The transferred gene could confer a novel trait to the recipient organism, which may result in negative, neutral, or positive effects. For example, bioremediation of contaminated groundwater or wastewater may be enhanced when catabolic genes used for genetic modification reside on MGEs and can be readily transferred to endogenous bacteria. So we know that it could be good, bad, it could be indifferent, but it does happen and it happens often and it's common and so we know that gene transfer can happen. Now let's imagine this. Maybe we shouldn't imagine this, but this is the, one of the major concerns. You know that you are primarily bacteria. And you have a microbiome. And in your gut, you have all this gut flora. Well, 
this plant, the BT resistant plant, is Bacteria steringensis. What if that was to gene transfer into your micro gut flora? And all of a sudden, your, your stomach bacteria started producing BT. Does that, doesn't sound like a good prospect, right? And so this is serious, and they don't know, and we're the guinea pigs. I don't think we're the guinea pigs. I'll be quite frank with you. I don't think this is, that they don't know. We know. It just said. It happens all the time. This is a common occurrence. Bacteria do this. It's known. It's no secret. Now, most of these things, and you saw earlier in the slide, most of this is actually the primary culprit is beet, or, uh, Roundup Ready corn, soybeans, and cotton. Does anyone know what Roundup is? It's glyphosate. Does anybody know what glyphosate is? Not fertilizer. No. It's an herbicide. Yeah, but it's originally an herb, uh, uh, fertilizer that was very, very, very intense. It was a chelator for boilers. We're going to get into that. Glyphosate is, do you, do you see this? This is glyphosate. Not much. It's an organo compound with a phosphate group. Pretty simple stuff. Um, let me see here. It is. I thought I would remember. It's a glycine. That's what it is. This is a glycine part here, and this is the phosphate. See the P? And so these are two carbon molecules. So it's two carbon molecules that are glycine with a phosphate. That's all it is. Phosphate is a mover, though. It moves really well. Oh, I had it on the front. That's why I couldn't find it in my notes. Glycine, two carbon amino acids with a phosphate group, a synthetic amino acid. It's a synthetic amino acid. Turns out, it's the most used herbicide ever in history. We're saturating the world with this product. I mean, lots of it. In fact, we use about 300 million pounds of glyphosate in the USA every year. Year. Every year. That's a lot. about five billion pounds worldwide. <coughs> A synthetic amino acid. Every gallon comes with nitrosamines. Nitrosamines. I'll get it out here in a second. Every gallon comes with nitrosamines, the carcinogen in tobacco products that can't be removed. We have a message in this church. No tobacco products because it's a what? They're carcinogenic. They kill you. They're cancer forming. 
but we can use glyphosate. Percent of U.S. acreages sprayed with glyphosate. So they told us when it was introduced, it would lower the use of herbicides because you wouldn't have to use it as much. You could be more precise. That's almost straight up. You couldn't even, this is Roundup Ready crops introduced 1996. We're at 2010 on this chart and we're off the charts. You see that? Amazing. Glyphosate is a broad spectrum chelator. That equals, it can grab onto essential minerals, then immobilize them so that they are not phys physiologically available. What do you think that means when you eat something that has glyphosate on it? It actually robs you of mineral nutrients. You're not helping yourself become why do we grow all this good food? We want it to be what? Minerally dense. dense food. We want large levels of secondary metabolites in plants, right? Why? Nutrition. Nutrition. What happens when you rob the ground of nutrition? What if the plant lives? <laughs> what do you do when the earth is saturated with this stuff with five, what was it, five billion pounds every year? Strange times we live in. It's the first patent in 1996 to clean steam pipes and boilers as a desiccant. desiccant. 1964. Sorry, 1964. I can all... So, it's chelating boilers. You know, when you have a boiler, if you get buildup in the boiler of mineral content from the water going through, you need something to scrub those walls down. What they came up with was glyphosate. So when you put it in your fields, what do you think happens? You bind up and lock up all those trace elements, copper, nickel, zinc, boron, manganese. You know what the center of a chlorophyll molecule is? It's magnesium. What happens if you lock up all your magnesium? You don't have any chlorophyll. You don't have any chlorophyll. You, you know, do you know what you have to have in order to get new energy into this system that we call Earth? You have to have chlorophyll, because that's how a plant photosynthesizes. If you don't know about the parable of photosynthesis, you should come to my lecture later this afternoon. 1974, patented by Monsanto as a broad-spectrum herbicide, killed everything it was put on, unless it was Roundup Ready. Not then. 2005. Patented by Monsanto as a broad-spectrum antibiotic. Problem is it kills the good pathogens in the environment and our gut bacteria, but stimulates the bad ones. Many of the bad bacteria can use it as a nutrient source. What was it? It's got a phosphate group, phosphorus and nitrogen. It's a phosphate group. They can strip out and steal the phosphorus from it and use it as a food source. That's 
your anaerobic, your bad stuff, the stuff, you know, the nasty stuff that you don't want in your stomach. When you take probiotics, what are you trying to do? You're trying to outcompete the bad stuff in your gut, right? So this ought to be really good at destroying people. Um, you know, the devil wants to destroy the destroy the image of God in man. He hates us. New evidence that a, a synthetic amino acid can be incorporated into our own proteins in place of glycine. Remember I told you it was a glycine? But it's got this phosphate tag hanging off the back of it. It's a synthetic glycine molecule. What happens is, and I'll read this to you. Everybody here know what a prion is? You ever heard of mad cow disease? I'm going to just totally destroy it. Jacob's Crucibles. You heard of that? What they said. Jacob, Jacob's, Cruci Jacob's Crucible disease. Crucible disease. I told you I'd slaughter it. That's mad cow disease for humans, effectively, yeah? It's a, it's a poorly formed protein molecule. Listen to this. Prion diseases also called transmissible spongiform encephalitis, encephalopathies, are novel degenerative diseases in which the infective agent is a misformed protein. Prions are believed to be responsible for Kuru Kreutzfeldt. There you go. That's what it is. And bovine spongiform encephalopathies. BSE, we'll, we'll call it BSE, mad cow disease. BSE first appeared in the United Kingdom in 1986 after glyphosate had been used to control weeds and animal feed for at least a decade. While BSE is believed to be caused by feed contaminant with the brain, spinal cord, and digestive tract of infected carcasses, there remains the open question of what caused the original appearance of misfolded proteins to in intestine to initiate the infection. Prion proteins contain a glycine hydrophobic region that shows almost perfect conservation, cons conservation across a wide range of species. This region appears to be important for the misfolding process uh, and prion propagation. It seems remarkable that a highly cons conserved region of the protein unaltered by genetic mutation could be the source of the toxic toxicity. The normal form of prion proteins, PRP, is rapidly catabolized, catabolized whereas a pathogenic isoform, PRP, is highly resistant to Protolysis, protolysis, a subsequence containing only PRP contributor to fibrogenicity. It has a high tendency to aggravate into sheet structure forming amyloid fibrous in vitro. Say all that to say this. I'm not a scientist. I'm a farmer. It causes the proteins to fold in a way that causes problems, simple terms. And there's a, the same sense that this is what's actually happening in 
the, the bovine spongiform. It's a protein that is not functioning correctly and it, it damages the brain of the animal. And so there's major health concerns with what glyphosate, in fact, I don't, I don't think it's actually, I think they know this is probably the root, but we don't talk about it. So what other health risk? Then shall physicians continue? This is the same statement um, from earlier, um, from manuscript release 16, page 247. Then shall physicians continue to restore, resort to drugs which leave a deadly evil in the system, destroying that life which Christ came to restore. Christ's remedies cleanse the system, but Satan has tempted man to introduce into the system that which weakens the human machinery, clogging and destroying the fine, beautiful arrangement of God. The drugs administered to the sick do not restore but destroy. Drugs never cure. Instead, they place in the system seeds which bear a very bitter harvest. That was ex when I read the statement about amalgamation. This was the next paragraph. Um, it is 11.35, I think. Okay, I have 10 minutes. This is how sure we are that there's an association with cancer and glyphosate. A jury in Oakland, California, ordered Monsanto on Monday to pay a couple more than $2 billion in damages after finding that its Roundup weed killer caused their cancer. The third jury to conclude that the company failed to warn consumers of its flagship products' dangers. Thousands of additional lawsuits against Monsanto, which Bayer acquired last year, are queried up in state and federal courts, or queued up. The couple, Alva and Albert Pilioid used Roundup in their Northern California property for decades in the 2011. In 2011, Mr. Pilioid, now 76, was given a diagnosis of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. In 2015, his wife, who is 74, learned she had the same disease. The jury in state court um, in Alameda County reached its verdict two months after the federal jury in San Francisco awarded $80 million to a man who claimed that Roundup had caused his non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in August. A state court in San Francisco found that Roundup had caused the cancer of a school groundskeeper, awarding him $289 million. A judge reduced that figure to $78 million. That verdict is being appealed. That's from the New York Times. Are we eating this stuff? You know, what, when they did testing on products coming out of Canada, you'll never believe. What do you think had the most amount of glyphosate left on it? Who here loves hummus? Garbanzo beans. Garbanzo beans. Bummer, yeah? The Hummer. All of a sudden, the organic price doesn't look so bad, does it? Doesn't have glyphosate on it. I'm pretty, pretty sure of that anyway. Maybe, but probably not. Research has also shown that glyphosate is an endocrine disruptor. Do you know what an endocrine disruptor, disruptor does? You can't think straight. This war is for your mind. 
meaning that it interferes with the proper function and production of hormones in human cell lines. It's not yet clear how much an impact glyphosate has had on cancer rates. And that's from where? Uh, Newsweek. Here you go. What's this say? Thyroid cancer incident rates. GE soil and corn crops, blue line. Glyphosate applied to corn soy, red line. Cancer rates. Strange trend. It's just, uh, what else? Diabetes? Strange trend lines. Hypertension? What do we got here? Alzheimer's disease? Remember that folding protein? Prions? Intestinal infections? Anybody here know somebody with like intestinal problems? Celiac disease? Can't eat wheat anymore? Everything, aborted animals. They're having records of, of miscarriages, aborted infertility. infertility. They can't even get pregnant. Animals, massive, massive amounts. What is this? <coughs> Autism. And I'm not saying that this is causing these diseases. I'm saying that's a strange line. The correlation is, is strange. There's other factors. You know, the world's not a, a singularity in this world, we're, but we're, we're getting hit in every which way. Current GMO crop, alfalfa, apple, canola, corn, filled and sweet corn, cotton, papaya, soybeans, squash, sugar beets. If labeled as sugar, it is from sugar beets. If you're eating sugar, almost certain. If it doesn't say cane, it's coming from sugar beets. And they almost never say cane anymore. So if you like sugar, just saying. And if you thought you were going to get away with it with that, now there's all these processed side of things. And so we can read this together. Processed inputs, including those forms of synthetic biology. GMOs also sneak into food in the form of processed crops derivatives. So this comes in and process derivatives. That does. And inputs derived from other forms of GMOs, such as synthetic biology. Some examples include hydro hydrolyzed vegetable protein. Anybody eat that? Corn syrup. Anybody eat anything with corn syrup in it? Molasses. Sucrose. Texturized vegetable protein. Flavorings. You ever buy anything that has flavorings in the title? Vitamins. Anybody here eat nutritional yeast? Uh-oh. Yeast products. Anybody here make their own bread with yeast? Anybody eat bread with yeast in it? Uh-oh. Microbes. They genetically modify microbes. Enzymes. Flavors. Oils and fats. Proteins and sweeteners. My wife says, be positive. 
She can give you her recipe about how to grow her own yeast so you can make bread without buying yeast. How to avoid GMOs. It's really simple. We have a whole food plant-based diet. All those little funky ingredients at the bottom, they're not in broccoli. Avoid packaged foods. You want to know? You don't want to get the, the self-fusion broccoli at the grocery store? Grow broccoli. Eat seasonal. These are not novel ideas. It's been going on for thousands of years. We are novel. What we're doing is not normal. Don't think it's strange. But recognize you shouldn't be doing what the world is doing. Show them something better. You know what the watchword of true education is? Something better. Something better. Non-GMO project labeling. This helps. I'll tell you this. 0.01%. They improved it. It used to be 0.05. We looked it up last night. 0.01% can be genetically modified. It's shame on them, but this. You wouldn't have the product at all. Because... You can't get corn that's not genetically modified. You want to you know how crazy we are? We don't eat corn. We don't eat soy. We don't eat cotton. We don't, anything that's, that's got 90, 80% genetically modified, just it's gone. It's poison. It's dead. Don't let it overwhelm you. Pray before you eat. God's in control, but you have a part to play. You have a mind. You have a free will. You make choices. You do the best you can with what you have. And that means you actually have to do the best you can. It doesn't mean it's too hard. It means you actually have to do the best you can. And then he will make up the difference. And he will make up the difference. And we can rest confident, assured, and joyfully eat our food. Non-GMO project, so there's a labeling and there's an app. You can get the app. The app is loaded with all kinds of useful information that can help you avoid GMOs. And remember I asked early if everybody here had a whole food plant-based diet? This will help. Animal products including aquaculture due to high levels of GMOs in feeds, eggs, milk, meat, honey, and seafood. If you cut those out, a lot of problems are resolved. Eat simply. That's what we need to do. Eat simply. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.